the God of the Old Testament. The nation of Israel had to remind themselves who was their God. Who is God? And when you answer that, then other questions of life start to fall into place based on that. And if you say there are no gods, there is no God, that is still the answer to this question. And how you answer whether or not there is a God and what he or some might say she looks like will determine how you live. In one way, shape, or form. You'll answer the question, where am I going? How do I treat others? Am I required to treat others in any certain way, shape, or form? How do I treat myself? What is required of me in life? What is truth? Who decides truth? All those questions is tucked into the prophets in the Old Testament. And then secondly, what is an idol? Now, if you've been in church for any length of period of time, I bet there is an image that came up for you when I said the word idol. And typically, those of you who haven't been in church much, this wouldn't be maybe your understanding, that that image of an idol is a golden calf. You know, because that's what the nation came out with. I think sometimes for those of us who have been in church long enough, we get caught up into what we already know that we fail to see how that blinds us in other areas. So I want to challenge you to be careful how quickly you answer this question. Because it can be very simple to say, well, it's just anything that is being, it, it's like a golden calf when we bow down to an image of some sort, which it very well may be, but it is much greater than that. What is an idol? All of scripture answers these two questions for us. The book of Hosea will do that. Sometimes in very drastic ways. But we cannot just get stuck in the book of Hosea. Though, though as I've read it, I would almost challenge you, if you want to uh, really kind of take a, a good challenge and every week read through all of the book of Hosea. You know, it'll take you maybe 15 minutes. Okay? Read through it to be reminded because we must remember the larger story of Scripture. See, I, I hope we do this well with our kids. You know, I know I try to do it with our teens, but I hope we do this well that we help them connect the stories that they're taught with the larger picture of things. So they understand that uh, when they talk about Jonah, it's not just a good story about Jonah and a fish, but it is directly tied to the story of Exodus, which is directly tied to the story of creation, which is directly tied to who Jesus is, which is directly tied to the book of Revelation. See, because if we get these bits and pieces, which are good, we fail to see that there is a thread that is going throughout all of Scripture. We fail to see that when Jesus, after he rose from the dead and before he ascended into glory, he opened up the Scriptures, which would have been all those stories of the Old Testament. 
when Paul wrote in his letters to the early church that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking. He wasn't talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the letters. They had yet to be kind of put together. He's talking about passages like Hosea and even the lesser appreciated ones of 2 Kings or 1 and 2 Chronicles. You know, things that we try to pass over. And it's important as we get into Hosea that we don't get so caught up in Hosea that we forget the larger story. Isaiah, to some extent, was a contemporary of Hosea. Amos, very similar time period. Now we read here in Hosea 1.1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Barak, during the reigns of Uzziah, Joseph, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. Sets us in that place. Hosea is predominantly, if not 100%, talking to the nation of Israel, which is the ten tribes of the northern section of Israel. Once Solomon left and his kingdom was split into two, ten went one way, two became known as Judah, followed the sons of Solomon to some extent. This is the majority of what would be the people of God. The background that we need to see is 2 Kings, where, where things are going on, where we get these uh, chronological lists of this person was this person and this was king. You know, and I will tell you, when we get finished with the book of Hosea, the, nation, the ten tribes of the nation of Israel, known as Israel at this time, they get wiped out. Within 200 years of the formation of the nation of Israel, the majority of the nation is gone. Why? Let us go back to those first questions. Who is God? And what is an idol? Because their answer to that gives us insight here. We read in 2 Kings 14, uh, talking about, uh, you know, uh, the king of Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. And if you read in Kings, the overwhelming majority of the kings of Israel, this is the refrain that has been said. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't undo the sins from before. My thought this morning is this is a very similar refrain that if you read in uh, Judges. I almost preached through the book of Ruth uh, because I, I like the themes of Ruth, though I think actually most of them are going to be here. In the book of Judges, we read everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is a very similar statement that is made. Instead of he did what was right in his own eyes, he did evil in the sight or in the eyes of the Lord. And the question that maybe Hosea wants us and the writer of Kings wants us to think is, is this God of Israel, this God known as Jehovah, known as Yahweh, is he a God that notices 
Or is he a God that doesn't care? And if he doesn't care, then it doesn't matter what he can does. The nation will just do what they want to do. And so, we then read these words. Then the Lord began to speak through Hosea. The Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so Hosea married Gomer, daughter of Bidlon, and she conceived before him a son. We see at the outset, God desires obedience. Now, we look at this and go, wow, that was a pretty bold thing. Let's be honest, nothing in Scripture would have prohibited Hosea from marrying someone like this. There's only one set of people that had requirements on who they married, and that would have been the Levite's priests. So yes, this is a bold statement. It is bold only because we get the rest of the context. To some extent, it may not have been that bold to normal Israelites. In fact, I would almost say, knowing the background that I've been studying this week and reading those scholars that uh, no way more than I will ever be able to fit in this little brain of mine. They probably didn't think much about this. This became normal life. But we read the point of this with the land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Does God notice? Hosea is going to teach us as we answer the question, who is God? God sees what is going on. Now, I want to take a quick step back. I don't think Hosea is meant to ask the question or help answer the question, how can I be like Hosea? Okay? I don't think the point of Hosea is for us to be like Hosea. We would miss it if that was the case. I think the question that we are to ask as we read through these pronouncements is how are we like Israel? How are we like these people who were called by God, who God brought out of the nation of Egypt, who had carried them along in the wilderness? How are we like them. <clears throat> but when we start to ask that, then I think we will start to not see this as sometimes can happen. Where we look at Israel and we go, wow, how could they? Or we read in Hosea and wonder that as we get to the end of the book, you know, I, I shouldn't do this, but the end of the book is not good. The end of the book Jose says, and here's why we're all being taken away. Adios, amigos, amigas. Adios, fellow Jews. Syria, Syria comes in and kind of takes them off the map. And we can sit there and go, how did they have missed what Hosea the prophet was saying? How did they miss this great object lesson? And I think we need to give them grace and knock our own pride off. For I believe there have been many times in my life, probably your life, in the life of the church globally, 
and in the life of the church in America locally where we have missed what God has been trying to get our attention. Holy. Yet we're so caught up in our own thing as maybe we need to see that our own things sometimes are the idols of life. Let me continue on this morning. So, uh, you know, Homer and Hosea, they have a child. And God says to Hosea, and Hosea is a picture of obedience that God desires. And I think we can take that from it, but we don't need to act like it in many other ways. So, uh, young men, this is uh, my warning here is don't be like Hosea unless you can explicitly prove that God has spoken audibly to you on your bacon, young women, too. Be careful who you pick. Because I'll be honest with you, Hosea has a lot of heartache, and I think that's part of the plot. I have a lot of heartache. But the Lord says to Hosea, call him your son Israel, because I will soon punish the house of Jacob, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And in that day, I will break Israel's home in the valley of Jezreel. It's bringing about a, a picture of what actually one of the early kings of Israel did right. Where they did put to death the prophets of Baal after Elijah. Okay, where they did right. But that valley became known as a valley of bloodshed, of violence. And that's what God is saying through this kid who's going to be called Jezreel. And every time they hear the name, they would be reminded of that. And if they would hear the word of the Lord, they would hear that sooner or later that may be their fate as well. I know what the NIV says here that, um, you know, uh, he's going to punish the house of Jacob. I think that this is one of those where we don't have a good English translation for that. Okay? Because Jacob did what God had commanded. It wasn't that he was disobedient. It's more of this idea of the valley of Jezreel, which became known as, was a place of violence and bloodshed and damage. And so will be the nation of Israel. Are we feeling good about this kid's name yet? No. But you know what can be tricky? If I put myself in, how am I like Israel? I, if, if I had, so I named Daniel Tizzle. Aren't you glad he didn't name you that? A reminder of destruction. You want to be named Israel? No. You're okay. Alright? But every time I heard Jezreel, I might, if I'm a nation of Israel, go, oh, well that's just when God massacred all those other prophets. Okay. We cleanse the nation then. You see how sometimes if they don't even see what they are doing, when we fail to see maybe what we are doing, we can take what what we can take part of the truth and fail to see how we are no longer that person. The Valley of Jezreel for some Israelites was a moment of victory, of conquer. And could they may have thought, oh, God wouldn't really destroy us like that. We're his people. It doesn't matter what I do. And yet we read, there's coming a time. If that wasn't enough, then Gomer has another child, a daughter this time, and the Lord called the Hosea to call her Lo Rahmah which means not love. Gosh, poor kid, right? 
Poor kids. Poor Hosea. Poor Hosea that every time he calls his kid's name, he is reminded of what the Lord has spoken to him. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Or another way of thinking, that I should not let them go off into exile, as one scholar comments. But if you're a normal Israelite, and you don't hear the word love, and you just hear the rest of it, you might think you are loved by God. And it doesn't matter what one does. Or not you. Yet, in the midst of this, for we will see within the book of Hosea, there's an alteration, alternative, back and forth between destruction and hope. You know, it's not all bad news, though 95% of it is. We have this 5% where he says, yeah, I will show love to Judah. Now, Israel would not have necessarily liked that, but maybe they thought if God will love Judah, we too are kind of like Judah. Maybe he will save us. But look what he says there. We must remember this. Not by bow, not by sword, not by battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. This becomes important because at this time of Hosea 1, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah are pretty safe and secure, and they're pretty well off. All the horses and chariots that Solomon had gained have yet to leave the nation of Israel. They were pretty okay. There was no other world power at the time that really could have come at the time of Hosea 1 and take care of them. They would have stopped them in their tracks. And we may go back to that question, what is an idol? I think we're seeing, even in this very small verse of verse 7, that one of the idols of Israel and possibly of Judah is they were thinking that they could sustain themselves. They didn't need the God who called them out of Egypt because they had all the stuff. They had an army, they had horses, they had gold, they had two temples at this point in time. Israel would have been in Bethel, you know, Judah, Jerusalem. We got it all. And no one around us can touch us. As I've been reminded many of times over from one of uh, the missions conference I've uh, heard at Cedarville, I can't tell you which speaker, but I know he was uh, talking about the, the nation of Africa and a missionary he had worked with where he, the, the missionary made it himself, I don't know, where he said to the church in Africa, we pay, pray for you in your poverty. And the response of the leaders in Africa was a quick not, well, thank you, it was a quick reminder of, yes, but we pray for you in America for your prosperity, because of your prosperity. And here's what I read time and time again in scripture, and I've seen in what little uh, history that I have uh, looked at, and as I read current events, when we are prosperous, when we have it, and we think we have enough, we do not want to lose it in any way, shape, or form. 
When we are in power, we don't want to lose power. So anybody that comes against us that may take some of our power away, we will do things to squash us. When we have things we don't want to share, and we're afraid that we may lose things. And here, a warning to the nation of Israel, to maybe you and I, where have we allowed our prosperity to get in the way of who God is? Who is God? He is a God that will save, but he won't always do it the way we think he ought to do it. I want to go back to the larger picture of Scripture. If we, if I were teaching, I'll just do what I was teaching. If I'm teaching, uh, you know, the book, you know, Hosea, for some reason, the kids, so I think we ought to, I would be able to point them back to another time in history of the nation of Israel when God saved his people not by sword, not by bow, not by horses. It's called Jericho. To remind them, see, here we go again. To put this story in a greater picture, maybe that's helpful for you and for me. But let us move on, because there is a third child that comes about through, we don't know if it's just Hosea's and Gomer's, or these are two other children that Hosea adopts himself, and there's debate in the academic world, I think rightfully so. So another child comes, another boy, and the Lord said to Hosea, call him lo ami, which means not my people. Do you see a progression here? A progression of there will come a time when I will get what is right in mind. Destruction will come. And, and now I'm going to say because of that, because there is no sense of repentance going on, that no longer will you be known as the loved one. And then lastly, you are no longer my people. If I'm a good Israelite here, and I stop there, I might go, yeah, I get it, but really, it doesn't matter. Because God made a promise. And he said his people would always have a place. Would always be his people. So maybe he's not really that serious. In fact, we read here that yet the Israelites would be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. And the place where was said to them, you are not my people. They will be called children of the living God. Once again, if I'm teaching little ones, there's another story that's very similar to this. In Genesis 15, when Abraham is given the promise, and we can teach our teens and our kids, hey, when we read this, there's going to come a time when similar words are going to be said, but not always in a good way. And so where, what am I trying to say? What do I think Hosea 1 is trying to say? I think it might be something like this. Sin is an affront to God. It's not, oh, well. Sin, and I put it in quotes, hurts God. 
Because God desires something else. And this whole picture, as Hosea is obedient to the Lord, think of how the fact that he is asked to do something, and he, we're going to see, I think, his heart, the Hosea, the prophet's heart that God is using to say, oh, guys, you, you don't know how much this is hurting. Not because Gomer maybe felt bad, but as we ask the question, who is God? We need to understand that sin is an affront to God, that sin hurts the heart of God because he desires something different. But if we think sin doesn't matter, who cares? If we think sin will just be forgiven, then who cares? But the sin of Israel, that northern tribe, after years and years of reading in kings, and they did the evil in the sight of the Lord, God is finally saying, I, 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 shoot, I can no longer love you because it hurts too much. I can no longer claim you to be my people because you do not look like my people. We have a picture of sin. A picture of God that takes serious sin. Or do we just go to these others and we see those? How might we be like Israel? Though I believe and I think the scripture teaches it 100%. I think even the nation of Israel, there was always a predator. I think God will always have a witness. I think one of the, my view of Revelation, we have two witnesses, even in the author of God. Because God is always with a witness, he wrote. But I wonder, if maybe we need to, in these days, I don't think I'm too far off, but I reserve the right to change my mind later. If we as the church, the Western church, the American church, need to hear the words of this book, I wonder if we have gotten so used to the, being the majority culture with the power that has come with that, that we have put our, our, our security and our status in a culture and that we have unintentionally and sometimes maybe intentionally done evil in the eyes of God and hope he has to watch. Where God, if we were to send a prophet today to the American church, what names would he pick to try to get our attention? Would we be willing to hear that maybe our security is not in who is in an Oval Office or not. But is it him? Is it about how you vote at the polling place? Thinking that's going to save our country. To maybe paraphrase. If the Lord is going to save our country, it will not be because of the leaders we choose or not choose. It will not be because of how we vote or don't vote. It will be because he has decided he's going to do that. But we don't deserve that. We do not deserve that. Not one bit. But yet, we, as the people of God, have a responsibility to live differently. 
we can take stock. I have to every single week. As we end this chapter, we read these words in chapter verse 10. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Answering part of the question, who is God? Is he alive? Is he dead? Is he stoned? Is he real? There, this comes out in the New Testament. And I will show you just a minute one of those places. As we keep things in context. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together and they will appoint one leader and will come out, out of the land and great, for great will be the day of Jezreel. God says funny things. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved Who is God? God is still full of compassion, grace, and mercy. pronouncements that are getting ready to happen. Things like, I will make the nation a desert. Aren't very nice. But we read God is so full of compassion, mercy, and grace. There are two places in the New Testament where these words, I believe, are quoted almost word for word. That may sound odd, right? We think, well, well, this doesn't make sense. This little-known prophet of Isaiah. Here's one of those. First Peter. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's that very first phrase. Once you were not a people. He quotes, you are not my people of Hosea 1.10. And one nine, for you are not my people, but now you are the people of God. See, this is our hope. At once, at any point in time, by not being faithful to God, I'm not saying we lose our salvation, but I'm saying that there is a path, and that sin, and habitual, intentional sin against God has to be taken serious. I'm not talking this one time off. I'm talking an intentional, habitual lifestyle of sin. And we have lists, and most of those lists have everything to do with how we speak and the character of our hearts, not necessarily what we always do. Envy, jealousy, rage, gossip, slander, you know, how we treat one another, sexual ethics. But he, we read here, but now you are a people of God. Part I left out there right before that in First Peter 2, if you know the rest of that, or know even that context, you would read before the ends, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who is God? God calls 
people who aren't his people be his people for a purpose that we would declare his praises. We teach first Peter. We ought to go alongside the book of the day. Because this is what it looks like when a, a people of God take for granted their status with God and think it doesn't matter anymore how it looks. Order, as we will learn, when they try to live out their faith in God by adding in something else. With it. Where it's God plus something else. Friends, salvation is not God plus. It is Christ alone. Period. In fact, our walk afterwards is not uh, faith plus work, but it is faith in who Jesus is that is lived out in works. We've got to show something. You know, it would be like if I pronounced myself as a cake baker, but never produced a cake, I could fool myself all I want. Right? No one else would call me a cake baker, which I don't profess to do. I marvel at people like Ashley who make things look and taste good. They both. Okay? I just eat them. Alright? Or if I did make cakes, but yet they were awful. And we all probably had one or two of those in our lifetime. Awful. Like not even chunk them down with a cup of coffee, but like, no, just don't even, don't even give it to the dog that we're afraid the dog may get sick. Okay? You wouldn't call me a cake baker. Why? Because the evidence of that proves it otherwise. So it is with God's people. Grace, but I gotta show you my response to this. And I can't add anything else. So I ask you to become God's person collectively, that we become God's people today. So that we don't have to have to really worry about being told we're no longer his people. And if you don't think it would happen, I submit to you seven churches of the New Testament period where God wrote a letter to them and he says, I might remove your latency. God takes serious the behavior of his people. And he is a God of grace, mercy, and love, but he's also a God that takes sin serious. So you come, and he will say, in the same place where you were unloved, now you are loved. And so what is our response? We're going to sing it, just as I am. Don't clean yourself up, because you ain't going to do it well. God's still going to have to clean But submit to his grace. I said that earlier as we sang that third song this morning, but submit to his grace and let his grace have the power to unchain But become his person through Jesus Christ this day. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, be with us now as we try to lift out your word. 
as we try to live out the answer to the question, who is God? God is a God of grace and mercy and love, and I want people to know by the way I live that grace means something. And so, Lord, may we let you hold up the mirror of the Israelites to us and say, how, where do I need to repent? Where have I built an altar, even if I thought I was doing it with good motives. Lord, be with us now as we continue to worship you, and always. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.